0: good morning everyone special thanks to daphne and her team for all they do with the av it's very encouraging to know at least one person is listening (laughs) also if you ever see abby baldwin around thank her as well she's the one that pulls together all of the slides that daphne and her team use each sunday and uh, that's a pretty big job Uh, she's really good at what she does and so the next time you see abby Say thank you to her, because she is magnificent. (laughs) Hey, uh, I have a bit of an explanation to give to you uh, about me. You didn't know me when I was a kid. But if you did, I kind of looked like this kid. Do you remember Linus from Peanuts? (laughs) Yeah, so when I was a kid, I had a blanket. Uh, I had it since I was a baby, in fact, and I am embarrassed to say that I had that blanket way too long in life. I mean, not like high school or anything, but longer than a lot of kids. And I would drag that blanket around, and in fact, if you come to my home, the remnant of that blanket, which is not much, is actually framed and hanging in my bedroom, because my mom and dad actually gave that to my wife, Sharon and on our wedding. And, and... <laughs> Is that funny? I, I, I don't know. <laughs> because at the bottom of that frame, emotional support blanket, it says, Sharon, this was Brian's blanket, used until this day. And my dad actually put the last date he remembered me using it. And then it said, the blanket was his security, And now, Sharon, you are his security. Yeah, yeah. But the fact of the matter is that blanket uh, comforted me. And I had a pretty soft, good life as a kid, so there wasn't a lot of comforting to be done. But you know, a lot of people, a lot of people have stuff like that. I'm not gonna make you raise your hand and say, hey, who had a blanket or a stuffed animal or anything like that? Because I would imagine a lot of us have had that or still have that, and that's completely fine. And it's because a lot of us realize there are points in our life, there are days in our life, when we need some comfort. And that's why one of God's greatest promises is in the book of 2 Corinthians, in the very first chapter. You see, as Paul is about to try and say some important, but sometimes hard, things to this church family, he starts off by saying, "'Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles. Look, if you're like any human being, you realize there are days when you need comfort. In fact, I would imagine you came to this worship service today going through some things in your life, some of you, maybe many of you, and you just need some comfort. And if we're being completely honest with each other, as I hope we can be, This passage sounds really good up here, and you understand this passage in your head, you read it, you hear it read, and it makes sense to you. But right here, in your heart, you don't feel it. In my experience, the reality is a lot of people don't feel comforted by God. I recently read a blog post of a gentleman who's involved in caring for his longtime spouse. They've been married for over 50 years. His spouse is suffering from Alzheimer's. And in fact, if you read his blog post, you would hear him tell about how every day she yells at him. Every day she asks who he is. Every day is a Herculean struggle for him. Yet he loves his spouse and has for decades. But he wrote recently in his blog, is this my reward? For having gone to church every Sunday? Where is God now that I need him? He doesn't feel much comfort from God. He never gets to attend worship like we are today. He needs God's comfort. For some people, you've been waiting for God's comfort and it has not come, because you expect God's comfort to be immediate. You expect that if you pray to God, for example, that all of a sudden this comfort that is promised to the church in Corinth will just come into your life. It's like when I was a kid, I used to get a toothache or I'd get a canker sore, and my mom would go to the medicine cabinet and take out this miserable thing called Ambisol. Ambisol was some kind of hocus-pocus potion. My mom would dip a Q-tip in there and swirl it around and put it on my my lip or my teeth. It hurt. It stung. But in about 15 seconds, I couldn't feel a thing in my mouth. (laughs) And we expect God's comfort to work like that drop to your knees, pray to God, where's the comfort? And if we're really honest with each other, we expect God's comfort to come in the format that we want it to come. And you're not alone in that regard. One of the great things I like about the New Testament is that oftentimes you encounter God's people writing some very honest, direct things. This same group of Corinthians that Paul writes to here in chapter 1, he later writes in chapter 12 about his own experiences. And here's what Paul says. He says, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh. He even calls it a messenger from Satan. And he says he's tormented by this thorn in the flesh. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, Paul said. Paul wants it gone. Paul wants whatever that is. Some scholars think it's his eyesight that had gone bad with macular degeneration. Other scholars think it was chronic back pain. We don't know. Paul wants it gone because, you see, for Paul, that would bring comfort. But he doesn't get that comfort. Instead, the comfort he gets is the Lord saying to him, My grace is sufficient for you. Well, that sounds great up here but your back still hurts when you get up in the morning. That sounds great up here, but the reality is your eyesight is still degenerating. That sounds great up here, but dealing with the spouse who has Alzheimer's is hard. Really hard. And so I think sometimes if we're honest with each other, these words we've read this morning sound really good, but they land in our life in a very difficult way. So this morning, for just a few minutes, Can we talk about God's comfort? Can we talk about this promise that sounds so good, but oftentimes when you live it out is so very difficult? And I just want to say a handful of things that occur to me as I look through Scripture and ponder God's comfort. Let me start with this. I think that God's comfort often comes through other people, It often doesn't come in the way we expected to. It comes through human beings, not through uh, the snap of the fingers that God does up there and all of a sudden something happens. It comes through other people. Have you ever read the book of Job? Job is a guy who needs comfort. Family members have died. His body hurts. He's lost a lot. Much like the Gillespie family, his home has been destroyed. He's experienced the death of loved ones, like many of us have in the past two years in the wake of the COVID pandemic. And in the book of Job, it's interesting, in the second chapter after all this happens, Job's three best friends, just like many of you have told me as I've gotten to know you, oh, people here at Oak Prest, I've known them since kindergarten. Oh, I've worshiped here since 1988. Oh, I've known these people for years. Think of your three closest friends doing this. They heard about the troubles that had come upon Job, and they set out from their homes, and they met together, by agreement, to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. Now, I don't believe that's accidental. I believe that because everything in the book of Job is set up by God in a fashion to say some important things to us. I think this tells me in part that God's way of comforting Job was to have three of his closest friends come and offer him comfort and sympathy. And I think that's important because in my experience there are two kinds of people. (laughs) You know how when people get sick, sometimes people just want to be left alone. It's like, leave me alone, I've got a fever. Leave me alone, I've got a cold. Leave me alone, I don't feel well. Leave me alone, I feel achy. Can I get anything? Yes, go away. <laughs> they just wanna be left alone. Other people, when they are sick, when they are going through difficulty, they want you to be around. When they're ill, can, can I have a glass of up? Can, can I have some crackers? Can I have another blanket? Can, can you get the TV remote for me? Can, can you, can you, can you, can you? And both of those are fine. But what I've noticed is this. When people go through difficulty in their life, Sometimes people just want to be isolated. And I understand that everybody grieves in their own way, and I understand that everybody gives care to aging parents in their own way, but it's been my observation that oftentimes when people most need other people, they push them away, they hunker down, and yet they pray to God for comfort. When in truth, maybe that comfort comes... When you call the church office and say, hey, can people come and visit with me? Maybe that comfort comes when someone walks through the door of the hospital and wants to just sit with you and talk and then pray. A very wise associate minister back at the church in Portland where I preached once told me this, and I've never forgot it. He said, Brian, you have to let people bless you. Because I'm one of those people that doesn't want people to bless me. I'm one of those people that wants to kind of be isolated. And reality is, God's comfort often comes through, well, people like Job's three friends. I was really struck and actually encouraged about six, seven weeks ago when Jack Hill came to me after service and he said, Hey Brian, I'm going through a major surgery next week, can you pray for me? And I did. I think that's a magnificent example for all of us to follow. Number two on the slide behind me, you are often the way that God comforts other people. We have an amazing staff of shepherds at this congregation. We have a lot of people who, without any fanfare, will go and visit and help people do all kinds of things in the midst of their hour of need, and, and you never really hear about it. But I wanna offer the possibility to you this morning that much like Job's three friends, you, not just the staff, not just Dwight, not just elders, like Scott, and Alan, and all the others, not just those individuals, but you are the way that God comforts other people. You see, it's really interesting, if we go back to that passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I didn't read the end of it. I want to read the end of it to you now. I, here's where I left off. The God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So yeah, I I preach here each Sunday, and I'm blessed to do it. So yeah, the, the shepherds serve here with zealousness and with dedication, and they are honored and happy to do it. But at the end of the day, God comforts us in part so that we can turn around and pass it on to other individuals. You see, it's all too easy to think, ah, somebody else will do that. It's all too easy to say, ah, that's not my gift. It's all too easy to say, well, I wouldn't be very good at it. And I understand all of that. And yet there's the passage. In fact, if you've ever been comforted by someone else, if God has ever brought comfort into your life, I think it's it's a good thing to pass it on instead of hoarding it and basking in it yourself. Now, you might think to yourself, well, that sounds great, Brian, but how exactly do I do that? Well, again, because God knows us and knows our human nature, I think he gives us an example. Back to the book of Job. So Job's three friends meet together. They agree to go and sympathize with Job and comfort him. So they hop on their camels, or they start walking, or they get on their donkeys, or however they got there. And they show up, and here we pick up the story in verse 12. Well, when these three friends saw Job from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. Okay, time out. That's just what people did back then to symbolize, we are really, really torn up about this. Today we don't tear robes, or we don't sprinkle dust on our heads, and all that kind of stuff. But those were at the time a way of saying, We hurt because our friend hurts. And by the way, if you want to tear your clothes and put dust on your head, that's fine. Time in. They then sat on the ground with Job for seven days and seven nights, and no one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. You see, for you to be the instrument of God's comfort, you don't have to know what to say. You don't even have to know what to do. You just have to show up. The mere presence of other humans that care is often enough to provide comfort. If you ever walk by a hospital waiting room, you understand this. Because oftentimes there's a cluster of people all waiting for a loved one to get out of surgery. And they're just there to comfort the spouse who's waiting to hear from the surgeon it's just the mere presence i've sat in those hospital rooms and i think many of you have as well you see it's just about being there i have sat with my students as they have cried because they've lost a loved one or they've lost a pet Uh, many of us have experienced situations where we show up and we don't know what to say and we just sit maybe we hold a hand or put an arm around someone's shoulder and they tell us they feel better. That's, by the way, what emotional support animals do. That, by the way, is what a stuffed animal does for someone who has a stuffed animal. Like my daughter Madison, who had this neat little stuffed animal she carried around as a kid. The fact of the matter is, it's not just that we comfort people in whatever unique ways we can. Sometimes you just have to be there. In fact, I believe one of the reasons why God thinks it's so important for His believers to worship together and to invest in one another's lives is so that we can walk through life together. So that when you experience difficult times, I'm there to comfort. And when I experience difficult times, you're there to comfort. And when the people at the end of your pew, or in the pew behind you, or four pews in front of you go through difficult times, you are there to comfort. Because that, I think, is partly how God's comfort works. But there's also something else you have to understand. Third: God's comfort is not always immediate. It's not like ambisol. God's comfort doesn't come on our timeline. You see, I have learned many things in my life, one of which is this reality that struggle is one of the ways that we actually learn and grow. I mean, trust me, I've run five marathons in my life, okay? I ran cross-country and track in high school, and one of the things all that running has taught me is that sometimes it's about perseverance. Sometimes it's about struggle, so that way you can grow and, in that case, become a better runner. There's a guy named Joshua Becker that wrote a really good book called The More of Less. And in it, he says this, Pleasure is a terrible teacher, because the most significant lessons we learn in life are rarely received during times of pleasure. Instead, they're born out of pain. Now, that doesn't mean you go looking for the pain. We're not masochists here, OK? Well, if you are running marathons, you're kind of a masochist, but that's beside the point, OK? What it means is that oftentimes, The comfort that God brings us comes on a timeline that allows a little space for us to learn. And I think that's why when you encounter the wisdom of Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes, the light bulb goes off and things begin to make sense. You see, for many years it was hard for me to understand why this was in the book of Ecclesiastes, in in chapter 7. It's better to go to a house of mourning than to a house of feasting, for death is the destiny of everyone. The Libians should take this to heart. Frustration is better than laughter, because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning? But the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure? Well, how can a sad face be better than a happy face? How can the house of mourning be better than what? And I think the reality is because if you've experienced the house of mourning, you experience sometimes the growth that from the time in your life between when something happens and you experience that comfort. It's not pleasant. I can't understand it, but I see it all throughout Scripture, and even Paul himself understands this. Back to 2 Corinthians. Having just said to God, look, this thorn of my flesh, it's killing me. Can you please get rid of it for me? Three times he says this. Paul, I mean, God, this is killing me. Can you please get rid of this? God, I'm serious, okay? Seriously. Would you please get rid of the thorn? God says, hey, my grace is sufficient for you. Here's Paul's response. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. And that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, and in hardships, in persecutions, and in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Yeah, my back still hurts. Yeah, my eyesight still degenerates. But I am strong because I'm learning more about me and about God. Does it hurt? You bet. And I understand that hearing me say that, it's easy to hear and harder to live. But don't blame me, I'm just the messenger. And so the question then is, so what might you be able to learn from all of this? Finally, last but not least, I feel obligated to say that God's comfort doesn't always remove all of the hurt. It doesn't. Paul understood this. I understand this. So, one of the things I used to do when I lived in the Pacific Northwest is I would go backpacking because you see, out in Oregon we have these things called mountains. Okay, let me explain to you. A mountain is a very, very, very large piece of the earth that goes up to about 9, 10, 11, 12,000 feet. They have them in Colorado, by the way. You should go see them, OK? Uh, and so when I go backpacking in the mountains, we sleep on the ground. And I don't know if you've ever gone backpacking, but if you sleep on the hard ground, it's not pleasant, especially even in the summertime when you're backpacking at about eight, 9,000 feet, it gets cold at night, and the cold ground will suck whatever body warmth you have right out of you. And so when you go backpacking, you sleep on this little big two-inch pad let me tell you, the two-inch pad, it's better than the ground. But it's not the sleep number bed. It's not your bed at home. It doesn't completely remove the difficulty. But there's a little bit of comfort there. And in my life, and I think if you're honest in your life, you'll understand that's often how it is. Job's friends show up and they comfort him. They don't say anything. They're just there with him. They comfort him. But Job's kids are still dead. His house is still flattened. And there's still boils on his body. You see, God's comfort sometimes makes it a little better. But it doesn't fix, doesn't eliminate the problem. I really appreciate the fact that Kyle this morning chose to have us sing a portion of the 23rd Psalm. Because you may remember the 4th, 4th, of the 23rd Psalm. I'll do it in King James because that's how I learned it. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff comfort me. I learned that in 7th grade, King James Version. (laughs) Mrs. Carpenter, back in Phoenix, where I grew up. She'd be so proud of me right now. The psalmist David reminds us he's still walking through the shadow of death. He's still in the valley. That gentleman on the internet, his spouse still has Alzheimer's. That's not going to change on Monday morning after he hears this sermon on Sunday afternoon. But I hope there's at least a little comfort in his life and in yours. And I think somewhere deep down in here, we understand that. Because the most common prayer I heard from from shepherds, from from anyone in the church, is this. Lord, would you be with blank? Be with blank. Be with Kathy in her loss. Be with Brian as the school year starts. Be with blank. We so we understand that because while we sometimes pray for something specific, like the healing of cancer or uh, you know uh, coping with grief, we understand that the comfort is what we're after. If if not the larger fix, maybe one way to understand it is to listen to what C.S. Lewis had to say in his book *The Problem of Pain*. Our Father, God. Our Father refreshes us on the journey of life with some pleasant inns that will not encourage us to mistake them for home. There is a place where there is no Alzheimer's. There is a place where your back doesn't hurt and your eyes don't degenerate. There is a place. It's called heaven. And between now and then, God does provide us comfort, enough inns, to refresh us on the journey. Sometimes they're fancy Radissons with soft beds and big pillows and a hot tub and a sauna. And sometimes they're a Motel 6. But they refresh us along the way. And it's been my experience in life that if you understand that about God's comfort, you can say, yes, God, your grace is sufficient for me. So I don't know how all this lands in your life today. I suspect that a lot of you Crave God's comfort. I suspect that a lot of you are still waiting for God's comfort. And perhaps what I've tried to share with you today is both encouraging and hopefully also a little bit helpful to dig a little deeper into God's comfort. And so this morning, as we conclude, I'm going to ask, well, I'm going to pray for all of us. And then we're going to rise and we're going to sing in Christ alone. Because it is in Christ alone where our hope is found. And it is in Christ alone that we can find the comfort we really need. So I will pray, and then we'll stand together. And as we sing that song, if you feel that we can be a blessing to you this morning by baptizing you for the forgiveness of your sins and welcoming you to the family of God, if we can pray over your life, if you need the comfort of the prayers of the shepherds of this congregation, one of them will be here in the front, another will be back in the back if that's more comfortable for you out in the foyer. But let me pray for us. And then we'll stand together and sing. Lord, we came today to worship, but we recognize that for many of us, we worship in difficulty. We worship in need of your comfort. Many of us have so many different things going on that we would never even dare to share, and some we know about from paging through the bulletin. Lord, I pray for comfort this morning. I pray that you would comfort those that are in pain those that are mourning, those that are uncertain, those that are afraid. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to better understand your comfort. I pray that you would help us to realize that maybe we might learn something as we await your comfort. And Lord, I pray that you would put the right people in the right lives at the right time to bring comfort. And Lord, help us to keep our eyes open, open the eyes of our heart, that we might see those whom we can comfort. Lord, I pray these things with great expectation for what you do. For Lord, in Christ alone, we offer this prayer. In his name, amen. Let's stand together and sing.